0: I'm going to finish my series this morning. This is the third week on confession. But before I do that, I just wanted to take a moment and just encourage you. Your sin has been punished. And the punishment for your sin was put on Jesus Christ. And because of that, you're in right standing with God and you're off the hook. And God wants a relationship with you. That's what he wants. See, all Christianity is, is God wants to walk with you. He wants to walk with you on the good days. He wants to walk with you on the bad days. He wants to walk with you when you blow it. He wants to walk with you when you don't blow it. When you have a day and you think, man, I was really a good Christian today. Man, I did everything like I think I should today. He wants to walk with you. When you think, man, I had a terrible day, and I was a terrible Christian, and I did things I shouldn't have done, I said things I shouldn't have said. I blew it in my, with my wife. I blew it with my kids. God still wants to walk with you. And so I just want to encourage you in that this morning, okay? It's not keeping score. It's not managing sin. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God's fellowship. Listen, Thanksgiving's Thursday, and I'm going to spend it with my family. I'm going to spend it with my children and their mates, and we're going to have a wonderful time. You know why? Because we're together. And if you're not with family and you have family away, you know what it feels like to not be with them. Listen, God wants to be with you. Amen? Amen. I want to tell you a story this morning about an old farmer. Uh, This guy was a farmer and rancher, and he lived in a country that looked a lot like right here in West Texas. And he was part of a family farming and ranching operation. It was called Terra Land and Cattle. That was the name of his father, Terra. It was called Terra Land and Cattle, and they had farmed and ranch, and they had cattle, and they had they had sheep, and they had farming, and they had people that helped them. This was a big operation, and it was multi generational. There was cousins and grandparents, and uh, they had been there for many many years. This wasn't something new that they were doing. And one of the sons had an encounter with God, and in that encounter, he decided that he was going to leave his homeland. He was going to leave his father. He was going to leave the, fa- the family operation and whatever inheritance that involved. And he was going to follow an outrageous promise from a God that he barely knew. When he went in and told his dad, hey, dad, I'm gonna I'm leaving, and, and I'm going to take my family, and I want you to come go with me, and, and uh, we're supposed to go to this land called Canaan. I know one of the things that his dad said was, well, you're going to follow who? Well, we're going to follow God. Well, they worshiped many gods, and so one of the questions was, well, what God are you going to follow? And he said, well, it's this God that I've met. His name was Abraham. He was 75 years old. So he gathered up everything that he had. His father, he took his nephew Lot, and they left, and they went to this land they'd never been to called Canaan. When they got there, they were in a drought. And it was dry and it was hot. And if you've lived here very long, you know dry and hot. Amen? Thank God for the rain we've had this last summer, but we know dry and hot. So there wasn't anything to eat. There wasn't a Burger King. There wasn't a McDonald's. There wasn't a Walmart. You couldn't get an all burrito after midnight. So they decided they'd go over to Egypt and get something to eat. So they left and headed over to Egypt. And when they got there, the Pharaoh and some of his court noticed Abram's wife, Sarah. And they noticed that she was beautiful. Uh, And they were were taken by her. Now, here's what's amazing about this story. She was 65. Okay, let that soak in. She was a 65-year-old babe. Okay, yeah. Now, so Abram gets scared, and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them that uh, you're my sister because I don't want them to kill me and take you for their own. And she said, okay. So she told Pharaoh, well, he got the great idea. Well, hey, since you're his sister, won't you just move into the palace and hang out with us? And so she moved in, and, and somebody came by where Abram was and brought him cattle and sheep and to, to pay him. And, and then he got in trouble and a plague from God came on the palace and the Pharaoh went and got Abram and said, hey, what have you done to us? And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, obviously she's not uh, your sister, she's your wife. And he said, thank God I didn't marry her. Thank God I didn't consummate the relationship because who knows what would have happened. So you got to get your folks and you got to get out of here. So he gathers up his family, they leave Egypt, they've gotten something deep, and they head back to Canaan. Now, when they get there, they're so successful and they're doing so well that Lot and Abraham, who are farming and ranching together, and their help, they each have help, their help begin to fight and they don't get along. Well, if you've ever been involved in any kind of family business, land and cattle, trucking, anything, you know what it's like to fight with family. So they're fighting. And Abraham says this to Lot. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the land that we have. And I want you to look at all of it. And I want you to pick out what you want. You take half and I'll take half and you pick out the part that you want. I'll take the part that you don't want. Now don't miss this right here. Abraham takes the high ground. Okay, instead of scratching and fighting and manipulating to get what he wanted, he said, you take whatever you want, and I'll take what's left over. Listen, Abraham knew that God would take care of him. So Lot looked down in the valley, and it was fertile and had water, and it was beautiful. And he said, hey, I believe I'll take the valley because it's the best. He did take the best, but there was only one little thing. That's also where uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was. So he goes down to the valley, and he has his family, and he has his hands. And they're not very far apart from each other. And he takes up camp in Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, there's some local kings, and they decide they're going to sack the city. They're going to attack Sodom and Gomorrah. So they gather up several kings. They gather up their armies. They go to Sodom and Gomorrah. They attack the city, and they overcome it. And they take all the goods. They plunder everything worth having. Then they take all the people that are worth having, and they make them slaves, and they leave. Well, when they leave, a person escapes from the city and makes it to Abram's camp and says, Abram, hey, Sodom and Gomorrah's been sacked. Uh, Lot's been taken with his family, and, and they've been taken. And he says, okay, great. So he gets 300 of his household. These were servants and soldiers. And he goes after these kings in the wilderness. And when he gets there and catches up to them, he whips the snot out of them. He gets Lot, gets his family, gets the belongings, and starts heading back to Sodom and Gomorrah. And when he gets on his way to there, he runs into a guy named Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is two things. He's a king, and he's a priest, and he is a type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Let me explain it to you. Melchizedek has no genealogy in the Bible. What does that mean? There's no record of his birth, and there's no record of his death. So the Bible says that he has no beginning, and he has no end. Now, he's not supernatural. He's not an angel. He was born, and he died. But the point is, is he's a type of Jesus Christ as my priest and as your priest. Okay, Melchizedek had no beginning and no end, just like Jesus has no beginning and no end. Now, we're coming up on Christmas, and we know Jesus is born as an earthly child in Bethlehem, but we also know that he always existed. See, Jesus was not born. He always existed. He's God. See, a lot of people think that God's the Father and that Jesus is somehow God Jr., okay? And that's not true, all right? It's always been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So when Abraham gets to Melchizedek, he's two things. It says he's king of Salem. Now, Salem was a city that later will become Jerusalem. Okay, think about it, Jerusalem, Salem. All right, he's the king of this city, and that city is later going to become Jerusalem. Let me tell you something about the devil. Okay, the reason the dome of the rock that belonged to the Muslims is in Jerusalem, and it's where it's at, is because that is the very spot where Jesus is going to rule and reign during the millennial reign of Christ. And they're not giving it up. They're going to fight for it. They're going to die for it. Because the devil knows that that's where Jesus is going to reign from. Let me tell you something about him. The devil will give you ground. Okay? He'll give you ground. He'll give you ground. He'll give you ground. And he should give you ground. And he's not going to give it to you. You've got to take it by using the name of Jesus. But finally, you'll get him in a corner. And he'll come out of that corner fighting like a tiger. And you have to have a club to get him off of you. Now, what do you mean a club, pastor? The club's the word of God. See, the devil will give ground. All the devil wants in your life is a toehold. See, eventually he wants to have his arm around your neck and get a chokehold on you. But he's perfectly satisfied for years just to have a little toehold. You've got to get him out of your life. So Melchizedek, who represents Jesus, who's king of Salem, he's also a prophet. Now, why am I telling you this story? Because when Abraham gets to Melchizedek, it says that he takes the spoil that he got back from the kings and he pays tithes to Melchizedek. He gives him 10%. Now, here's what's amazing about this story so far. All right, I've had lots of Christians tell me, oh, pastor, I don't, I don't need to tithe because that was in the law and we're redeemed from the law. And listen, we're absolutely redeemed from the law. I'm not under the curse of the law anymore because I'm in the new covenant. But here's what's interesting. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek before the law existed. See, Moses hadn't even been born yet, so the law doesn't exist. So you can't use that as an excuse. And here's what else is interesting. Melchizedek is talked about in Hebrews chapter 9, and it talks about how Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Here's two very powerful things about this truth. It says that when he paid tithes, that God in heaven received them. Now, how does this affect you and I? Well, here's what's amazing. When you come into this service on Sunday morning and you bring an offering and you bring finances and you put it in the plate, not only does it go into the offering at Tulia Christian Fellowship, but the Bible says that God himself receives it in heaven. So when you put your check in this morning, when you got online and designated giving, God received it in heaven. So when Abraham gave to Melchizedek, it says God received it in heaven. Here's the next thing. It says that Levi paid tithes in the loins of Abraham. What in the world does that mean, Pastor? Levi was Abraham's grandson. And so what it says is, is when Abraham gave a tenth of the spoil to Melchizedek, his grandson, who's not even born yet, it says that he paid tithes in his loins. Here's what I want you to see that's so amazing. Vicky and I are tithers, and we've always been tithers, and we were tithers before our children were born. So my son paid tithes before he was even born because he was in our loins. My daughter paid tithes before she was even born because she was in our loins. Here's the point. When you serve God, it blesses your children. When you give in the offering and you serve God, you pass that on to your children. My children's children, who are not even born yet. Now, one of them is fast on her way. She will be here in January. Amen. She will be here. Yeah, come on. Amen. Yeah, I'll just dance. She's paying tithes even though she's not here yet. Listen, it pays to serve God because it not only blesses you, but it blesses your children. So he paid tithes to Melchizedek who represents Jesus. You pay tithes to Jesus. And it says God receives them in heaven when you give. Now, here's another thing I want to throw out at you. Praise and worship is a sacrifice. Listen, if you have any loved ones in heaven, now they're not in the eternal church service in the sky, okay? I love church. Don't get me wrong. I love praise and worship. I love church. But there's a lot of amazing things going on in heaven besides church. It's not you know, a thousand-year church service, okay? But one of the things that does happen in heaven is worship. And when you worship God, you're worshiping, if you will, right along with your loved ones in heaven because one of the things they're doing is worshiping God. My mother, my father, my grandparents, you know, one of the things they're doing, they're worshiping God and they're loving him and they're telling him I'm so grateful. Well, when I do that here, God receives my praise in heaven just like he receives my offering. Listen, there's not a gap. Between heaven and earth, there's a connection. So what you do here is received in heaven. So he's on his way. And when he gets almost to Sodom and Gomorrah, the kings of that city come out. And they say, oh, my gosh, you saved us. You got our stuff back. You got the people back. We're so grateful. Here's what we'll do. We'll let you keep all the goods, and you just give us back the people. And here's what Abram says. He says, I'm not even going to take a shoelace Out of one of the shoes of the people that were held captive, because I don't want you to tell anybody that you made Abraham rich. Here's what he did He said, I'm going to trust God. When he gave Lot the best land, he trusted God. When he tithed, He trusted God. When he gave the spoils back to the king and said, I don't want any of it. Now, he had some young men with him, and he said, I want these guys to be blessed. Don't you love it when you can live in a place in your life where you don't have to have anything, you don't have to receive anything, but you can be a blessing to somebody else, that God can bless you to be a giver? And Jesus said it, right? He said it's more blessed to give and receive, but lots of times we don't really understand that. But that's exactly what he did. He said, I want my guys to be blessed, but you keep everything else. God knew excuse me abraham knew that god would take care of him all right this happens then god meets up with abraham and he cuts what's called a covenant with him it's a blood covenant now that's a whole teaching in itself that i can't talk to you about completely this morning here's what i want you to see about a covenant all a covenant is is an irrevocable agreement Here's what God says to him. He says, hey, Abram, I'm going to give you as many children as sand in the sea. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do more than you ever thought that it was even possible. That's the outlandish promise. And he says, I'm going to do it by cutting covenant. Now, the first time Abraham and God talk, he's 75. When they meet up again, he's 86. It's been 11 years. And they're a little tired, and they're a little discouraged. And they think, hey, what about this promise? You know, God told us 11 years ago that he was going to make us a, a father of many nations. But, you know, that has to start with the first baby, right? And, and honey, we're old, and you don't have any kids, and you, you can't have a baby. So they have a plan. And she says, well, I have this cute little house servant, and her name's Hagar. And this afternoon, I'm going to send her over to your tent, and uh, y'all hook up and get together, and maybe we can fulfill this promise on our own. So they get together, and she does conceive, and she has a baby named Ishmael. Now, as soon as that baby is born, it makes Sarah jealous and makes her mad. And she tells Abram, you get that woman out of here, and you get that baby out of here. Now, I have great respect for them Mormon boys that have more than one wife. I can't imagine. Can you? I mean, talk about in trouble, right? Never mind the paycheck and the income, right? But the boys that are on TV, they call them wives. I mean, I don't know how they keep from getting ripped to pieces by them women, right? So that's exactly what happens to Abraham, see? Abraham has this idea with Sarah, but then Sarah and Hagar, they don't get along anymore. And so they force him out of the camp. Now, listen to me very carefully. They decided on their own they were going to fulfill God's promise because they were tired of waiting. The reason... Those people were killed in Paris a week ago this past Friday was because Abraham and Sarah wouldn't wait on the promise. And they had a child named uh, Ishmael, and he is the father of the Arab people. The son who's born later, who's Isaac, who's the son of the promise, is the father of the Jewish people. A few years later, ishmael and isaac are out in the yard playing and ishmael's beating up on isaac and she sees him mama sarah and she tells abraham you get them out of here that child's not going to beat up on my baby you get rid of her and you get her out of here he packs her up and he has to send her outside the camp to live her own life now don't miss this ishmael was the child of the law he was the child of the flesh he was the child of we're going to make it work Isaac is the child of the promise, the child of faith. The child of the law always persecutes the child of promise. Listen, when you get free in Jesus Christ, all those folks you know that are religious, all those folks you know that love law, all those folks who want to measure you, they'll persecute you. Because law always persecutes grace. What are you doing over there at that Tulia Christian Fellowship? You know, that's a weird church. They got weird music. And in Ground Zero, they don't do anything but play games. And in Power Kids, they got so many kids, they don't have anybody even watch them. What are you doing over there? Law always persecutes grace. Folks, the child of the promise is people are not blowing up people and killing them. The child of the law are. Now, here's the thing. That fight's never going to stop until Jesus comes and sets his throne in Jerusalem. And he's going to rule and he's going to reign for a thousand years. Abraham's 75 years old when God gives him the promise. Now, listen, he's 99 and God shows up and starts talking to him. And I'm going to read that to you out of Genesis chapter 17. Now, let me say this before I read it to you. All right, that's, okay, let me think, 75, Now I'm not very good with math, 85, 95, my wife does the checkbook, 95, 96, 97, 98, okay, it's been 24 years, 24 years, listen to me, why did God wait 24 years? Well, I have some thoughts, and these are just my opinions, honestly, I believe God wanted to make sure that it had to absolutely be a miracle, see, maybe at 75, maybe you could pull it off. Maybe, and I don't know. I mean, maybe you could start exercising and take vitamins. I don't know, right? Maybe at 75, maybe you could pull it off, right? But at 99, there's no pulling it off, amen? There's no making that happen at 99 years old. I'm sorry. So God waits until it's absolutely a miracle. Now, here's the whole point of this story. Don't miss this. God gives Abram a promise that's impossible, And then he fulfills it. Listen to me. Whatever you're facing in your life, if you're facing something impossible, I hope you're facing something impossible. I pray you're facing something impossible because it ought to excite you because God loves the impossible, and he loves coming through for you where only he gets the credit, where only he knows it happened, only you know it was him, and you don't think, well, maybe we did that. No, he did it. Now I'm going to start reading to you. In Genesis 17, verse 1, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Almighty God in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. It means a couple of different things. First off, it means God Almighty. A better translation is the God of angel armies. Listen, you serve a God of war. All right, why do you have an army if there's no war? In the New Testament, it says, hey, put on some armor, pick up your shield, and get a hold of your sword. Oh, there must be something going on besides Sunday school. Thank God for Sunday school, right? You serve a God who is a God of war. He is not a pacifist. The last great thing that's going to happen is the Battle of Armageddon before Jesus sets up his rule and reign, and his enemies are going to be exiled. Are you with me? The second thing he's not is he's not a socialist. Pastor, are you being political? No, I'm not being political. I'm being factual. Okay, he's not a pacifist and he's not a socialist. What's a socialist? Well, socialist is everybody gets an equal share. We all get the same. We're gonna divide it up and be fair. We can't, we can't not be fair. We can't, we can't, no, everybody gets the same. So nobody cries and nobody's unhappy. And if we buy you a present, we got to buy Sissy a present. We got to be fair. God's not fair. He's righteous, but he's not fair. The Bible says there'll be rewards in heaven. There'll be rewards. The Bible says so that there's going to be gold, silver, and precious stone. Now, I know we're not going to need any gold, silver, and precious stone in heaven. I know that. Not, I'm not going to have to buy anything in heaven. I don't, I don't believe that I'm going to have to do that. Uh, we'll be given crowns, the Bible says, so I can teach on it. And then it says that we'll bow at Jesus' feet and throw our crown at his feet, and we'll say, you're king. You're king. All right, so there, there are ways to live, Amen. All right, now listen to what it says. He says, I'm the Lord God Almighty. I'm El Shaddai. The second thing it means is all sufficient one. And I love that. Listen, God wants to be your all sufficient one. What does that mean? That means you give up plan B. You send your army home. That doesn't mean you don't make plans. I've got plans. I've got a calendar and I have plans. I'm not saying you don't make plans. I have a savings account and you can't have it. Amen. And there's no I'm not see people think, well, I'm not supposed to have any savings, and I'm not supposed to have any plans, and no, that, that's not what that means. What it means is God, in the midst of my plans, in the midst of my calendar, you are my all-sufficient one. And you meet every need I have, and you take care of my kids, and you take my grandkids. And listen, now I'm not making light of what happened in Paris, and that's not my heart. Terrorism's a terrible thing and a real thing. But here's what I want you to know there's only one kingdom that's gonna stand. I said there's only one kingdom that's going to stand. And Jesus is going to rule and reign over it. And we are his children and we are his subjects and we are his citizens. And you pray and you trust God and you don't live in fear and you don't let the devil do that to you. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Now, God says, I'm El Shaddai. I'm the all sufficient one. I'm God of angel armies. Listen to what he says to him next. He says, Walk before me and be blameless, and I'll make my covenant between me and you, and I'll multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him and said, As for me, behold, My covenant is with you, and you'll be a father of many nations. Oh, one problem. I don't have any kids yet. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make a nation of you, and kings will come from you. Stop right there. Pastor, I thought you were preaching this morning on confession. Well, we're finally to it. The word Abram means high father, but the only problem was he was fatherless. The word Abraham means father of a multitude. Here's what God did. He changed his name from fatherless to father of a multitude. And every time God called him Abraham, every time his wife called him Abraham, every time the servants called him Abraham, you know what they were saying? Oh, hey, uh, father of many nations, would you take the trash out? Hey, father of many nations, can you cut the grass? Hey, father of many nations, how much money do we have in the bank? I need to go to the store. Hey, father of many nations. Listen, God calls those things that be not as though they were. And I'm going to show you that in Romans in just a minute. See, God told Abraham, you don't have any kids yet, but I'm going to talk to you like you do. Listen, you know what we do as Christians? We don't call those things that be not as though they were. We talk about what is and wish that would change. See, we talk about how bad things are, how terrible things are. We talk about what is. God doesn't do that, and God doesn't want you to do it. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to start saying what you want instead of what you have. Now listen to the rest of the verses. He says, I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generation for an everlasting covenant. Stop right there. God makes a covenant with Abraham that's everlasting. What does that mean? Covenants don't end. You and I live in the new covenant, and that new covenant was ratified with the blood of Jesus. The old covenant doesn't pass away. We get, we're free from the curse, but we get the blessings. Listen very carefully. God said, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you, and I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. I'm going to give you the land of the Israel all the way to the river Euphrates. Here's what's crazy. I'm watching the news last night, and they're talking about the Euphrates River in the news. Did you know that that river flowed out of the Garden of Eden and it's in Genesis? And all these thousands of years later, they haven't changed the name of it. It's still, the, it's still the River Euphrates. And it's in the news and the guy's reading it off. And he says, the battle between the River Euphrates, i about jumped out of my chair and started running around the room. Now, you know why? Because all it does is let me know how true this book is and how real it is. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you this land and it's going to be yours forever lasting. Now, listen very carefully, and I want to say this with the right heart. The Middle Eastern people are not going to get Israel. They're not going to get that land away from them. They're not going to destroy them because it's not God's plan. That land belongs to Israel. Is Israel perfect? Good Lord, no. Are there people there who are not not religious, not right, don't know God? Of course there are. But the covenant still stands. Now, let me keep reading. He says, also, I'll give to you descendants after you the land in which you are stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, I want to jump ahead, and I want to go to Genesis 17, 15. And let's talk for just a minute about Sarai, his wife. Then God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall no longer call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Sarai means quarrelsome. Sarah means princess of a multitude. Listen to the rest of it. I'm going to bless her. I'm going to give you a son by her. Never mind she's 99. Never mind she's 99. Never mind she's 99. I'm going to give you a son with her, and I'm going to bless her, and she'll be a mother of nations, king of people. She'll be her name. She'll be from her. Okay, now don't miss this. God changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. He changed Sarai's name, which is quarrelsome, to Sarah, which means princess of a multitude. Every time God saw him, every time anybody else saw him, and they told him their name, they were calling them what they were going to be, not what they were. Now think what we do to our kids, we've talked about it before, right? Oh, this is my little bedwetter. This is my little one who hates math. This is the one that has temper tantrums. This is the one that hates broccoli. This is the one that has to wear the same thing every day. And hopefully by then you've stopped. Because there's five. <laughs> right? Instead of, man, this is my blessed one. Man, uh, this one's named Ashley. And the name means full and complete. Elizabeth, Elizabeth means God is your abundance. Oh, this is Arthur. Arthur means noble king. Oh, and his, last, his middle name's Philip, and that means lover. Yeah, Arthur's a noble king and a lover. Now yeah, that's what it means. Yeah, and this one's Kurt. Kurt, Kurt means uh, wise, bold counselor. If you ever wonder what's wrong with Kurt, he's just being his name. He's preaching Wednesday night. They're all going to hell. This room's full of teenagers, and he's mad at him because they won't be quiet and listen. He's wild. And in Turkish, it means wolf. So he's a wise, bold counselor. Oh, oh and, and then there's Megan. And part of Megan's name is Pearl, which is priceless, priceless. Psalms 31 says that she's priceless beyond rubies. Wow, that's a little different, isn't it? My bedwetter, my whiner, right? What, what if you start calling them what you wanted them to be in, instead of what they are? That's what, that's what God did with Abraham. He said, hey, I'm going to change your name, and you're going to be the father of a multitude. Now, I'm going to go to another verse. I'm going to show you something amazing. This is Galatians 3.26. God gave a covenant to Abraham. Here's the good news. You get it. Everything God promised to Abraham, you're an heir of. You get it. All right, listen to what it says. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I know, I'm not lying to you. Verse 26, Galatians 3 says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's only one way you're a child of God. and It's not by birth. It's by supernatural birth, by spiritual birth. We're all children of God when you know Jesus is your Savior. Did you know that there's no such thing as the family of man? doesn't exist. You're either in darkness or you're in light. and It doesn't matter the color of your skin. The Bible says we all come from one blood. It doesn't matter if you're black or brown or white. If you get cut, your blood's the same color. We're all from one blood, but you're either lost or you're saved. There's no such thing as the family of man. I wish we could all drink a Coke and all just get along. But it's never gonna ever happen, so just get over it. That sells Cokes, but it's not true. Right? There's no such thing as the family of man. You either serve the devil or you serve God. It says so right here. We're children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, verse 27. And all who've been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. Listen, you need to follow knowing Jesus is your Savior in baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Water doesn't save you. Blood does. The blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 28 says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all one in Christ. Now, listen very carefully. If you're a woman, You're going to be a woman in heaven. There are no mannequins in heaven. Have y'all ever seen a mannequin with no clothes on? They're not boys or girls. Right? There's nothing there. Right? Okay. There's no mannequins in heaven. Right? Listen, your gender is in your soul. Your gender is in your soul. Okay? Do you know they can take your skin and scrape it and look at it under a microscope? And your gender is in your DNA. Doesn't matter what you do to your plumbing. Does not matter what you do to your plumbing. Your gender is in your DNA. When you get to heaven, you're either going to be a woman or you're going to be a man, or you'll be a gentile or you'll be a Jew. But he's making a point here. The point is, is I'm not going to look and go, oh, there's a Jew or oh, there's a woman. The only common bond we're going to have in heaven is that we know Jesus as our Savior. So, you don't get to heaven because you're a woman. You don't get to heaven because you're a man. You don't get to heaven because you're a Jew. You don't get to heaven because you're a Gentile. You only get to heaven for one reason, and that's because you've been washed in the blood and you know Jesus as your Savior. That's the only way you're getting in. It says so right here in this scripture. There's not slave or free male or female. We're all one in Christ. Listen to the last verse. And now that you belong to Christ, you're the true children of Abraham. You're his heirs. And what's an heir? An heir, that means if uh, I'm an heir, means if I was Nana's heir right here in the front row, that means that when she goes to heaven to be with Jesus, I'm in line to inherit what belongs to her. Now, I'm not her heir because I'm not her blood children, all right? But I'm not the blood of Abraham. I'm his spiritual child. You're his spiritual child. It says you're heirs in God's promise. Here's the last sentence. God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now, listen, don't miss this. This is good. I know I've thrown a lot out this morning. I know your brain's about to go poof. Everything God promised to Abraham is yours. All you have to do is believe it. That's the last verse I'm going to, and I'm going to show you. Man, I love this stuff in the Bible, don't you? Remember that lie you believed about how bad the Bible was to read? You know, oh, don't read the Bible, it's boring. No, the Bible's crazy. There's, there's R-rated stuff in here, man. Now, I don't like R-rated stuff, but if you do, okay. Right, I'm just, I'm just saying, right? I'm not saying I do, I'm just saying if you do. The big boys told me about it, okay. Look what it says in Romans four sixteen. It says, therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. We're the seed, not only to those who are of the law, that's the Jew, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. Stop right there. Listen, anything you receive from God, you receive by faith, but you don't earn it, you don't deserve it, you don't have a right to it, you get it by grace. Abraham believed God, and God gave him righteousness. You believe God, and he gives you righteousness. It's a faith that it might be by grace. How do I get God's promises working in my life? I just believe him and receive him, and he does it even though I don't deserve it. Let me keep reading. It says, as it's written, I've made you the father of many nations. Remember, he told him that back in Genesis. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead. Now, here it is. All of this this morning has been for right here. Who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Stop right there. You know what God does when God wants something? He says it. See, God was in eternity, and he said, light be. Light be. And it was. Now, the Bible of the King James says, let there be light. But that's not the original text. The original text says, light be. And you know what happened? Light travels. Now, I'm not a scientist. But it goes at about 186,000 miles a second. And it left from where he was. And they call it the Big Bang Theory. Isn't that funny? That's like a flea trying to figure out a dog. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm not saying you're fleas. Okay. I'm saying the people who think it all just happened by accident or fleas. Okay. He said, light be, and it started traveling at 186,000 miles a second, and it's never stopped. And scientists believe, well, one of these days it's going to stop, and it's going to all come back in, and we're all going to die. <laughs> well, there's only one problem with that. The Bible says that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. See, the reason light doesn't stop is because daddy didn't tell it to stop. Are you with me? God calls those things that be not as though they were. He doesn't say what he has. He says what he wants. What if you start doing the same thing? You know what that would mean? You're acting like God. Oh, pastor, that's heresy. I can't act like God. Why not? You're made in his image. You have a spirit on the inside of you. What, what if you did? What if you started... You know, stop moping, stop whining, stop griping, stop complaining, stop watching the news, and start reading the Bible and claiming the promises and start saying them. wonder if anything would happen. All right, now, 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 let me keep reading. Listen to what it says that Abraham did. It says, he gives life to the dead, and he calls those things which do not exist as though they are. Contrary to hope, he believed in hope. He became the father of many nations according to what was spoken Remember, faith has no voice without confession. So your descendants be, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced of what he'd promised he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 23, right here. Don't miss this. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. I just got one more little thought here, and we're going to stop. Listen to what uh, Abraham did. It says, contrary to hope, he believed in hope. He did not waver through unbelief. He strengthened his faith. He gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that what God promised he was able to perform. Listen to it one more time. Contrary to hope, he believed. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, he's hundred years old. It's hopeless. But against hope, he believed in hope. He didn't waver through unbelief. This is never going to happen. He strengthened his faith by meditating in the promises. He gave glory to God. Have you ever heard anybody say, "Oh, I have cancer, and I'm giving glory to God"? That's not what the book says. The book says, when your faith is strong, you give glory to God. When you stand on the promises. Now, don't get me wrong. Now, I'm not picking on anybody. Well, when bad things happen, it's God. That's not what the book says. Listen to it. He gave glory to God, being fully convinced. He was fully convinced. I wonder what you're fully convinced about. Oklahoma State wasn't fully convinced. But them Baylor boys were, right? Right? Boston College wasn't fully convinced. But them Catholic boys from Notre Dame were, right? Ohio State wasn't fully convinced. They rode in there on a chariot and already crowned themselves champion. It's only one problem. you got to play the game. Right? If you don't know about that, ask me after the service. You can Google it. Being fully convinced what he promised, he was able also to perform. Here's all I want you to see right here, and we're going to stop. What if you start saying, Father, I thank you I'm blessed. I thank you my children are blessed. I thank you that the promises in the book belong to me. I thank you that you said I can have what I say. And I'm going to start speaking into my life what your promises are. See, I had a lady come up after the service and say, well, am I supposed to lie? No, no, that's not not God's heart. That's not our heart. And I I want you to understand that. Her and I talked about it. Okay, see, it's not about ignoring your circumstances or putting your head in the sand or pretending like everything's okay when it's not. What it means is, is you get a halt of a promise and you hang on to it. See, Abraham had a promise and he hung on to it. You get a promise and you hang on to it and God will bring it to pass in your life because God loves the impossible, amen? All right, y'all stand up and let's pray. Praise God. Father, I love you. I'm so grateful. Hey, I want you to do me a favor. Would you mind just closing your eyes for a moment? Just close your eyes. Just do it for privacy. We're not doing it to be religious or to be weird. But I just want to give you a chance. I want to introduce you to Jesus. If you're in this place this morning, you say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm a Christian. I'm glad I'm here this morning. Maybe somebody brought you. And you say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm a Christian, but I'd like to be one. Listen, it's real simple. All you have to do is ask Jesus into your heart, and he'll come in. That's what makes you a Christian. See, not being an American, not going to church. But if, you're, if you'd say, Pastor, I think I'd like to be a Christian, I'd love to just take a moment, give you an opportunity. If you're here and you want to slip up your hand where I, where I can see it, I'd love to pray with you. I won't embarrass you. I won't do anything to you. I'd just like to pray with you. Anybody? I just don't want to leave this service without giving you a chance. Okay, I see that hand. Okay? I see that hand. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. We call it the prayer of salvation. It's very simple. And you're going to invite Jesus into your heart. Now listen, if you've already done it, thank God I want you to pray with me. But if you're here and you say, Pastor, I've prayed that prayer once time before. But I'm away from God and I'd like to renew my faith. You can pray it with us too. And then those of you that raised your hands, you can pray it with me. And we'll invite Christ. So, so here we go. Say, Father God, I come to you now in Jesus' name. And I believe in my heart. And I say it with my mouth. That Jesus is the son of God. He died on a cross. And was raised from the dead. For me. Jesus. Come into my life. Be my savior. I surrender. In Jesus name. Amen.